Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Let's play two. Welcome in to another edition of the Cubs Talk podcast powered by PointsBet from our virtual studio. I'm Nate Poppin here with Peter Marzano from NBC Chicago. And Peter, quite a uh, start to this, you know, rivalry series down in St. Louis. The fallout from the Wilson Contreras taking the backswing off the head and then Miles Michaelis just following it up with uh, two straight inside pitches on uh ian happ despite the fact that happ and Contreras made up almost immediately and hugged directly after you know the incident before uh wilson went back to the dugout and uh and sought treatment uh what was your biggest takeaway from you know the the post game you know comments by by both michaelis happ Contreras, and just kind of the fallout from this whole uh, little kerfuffle that that happened yeah, I mean, it's it's a really wild start to the series. I mean, you look at the stretch of baseball being must-win for the Cubs really for a while now since they've entered the second half at the very least. They take three or four in that previous rivalry series against the Cardinals last weekend. And, uh, you know, look to be a clean first inning from Miles Michaelis up until that point. You know, he he gets rid of Mike Talkman. He retires Nico Horner pretty quickly. Looked like it was going to be a one, two, three inning. Ian Happ hasn't exactly been the hottest hitter on the planet lately. But, you know, backswing happens, makes contact with Contreras. And, and that's exactly what it is. Like, these are guys that were teammates for five years, especially considering that Happ you know, was a rookie and it was a uh, cannot talk right now that Contreras was a teammate while Hap was a rookie on a very competitive team. These are guys that have a very special bond. And I think you can even look into that further when you go back in 2021 and in 2022, two guys that expected to be traded at the deadline and were not while a lot of their teammates were moved at the deadline. So I think when you look about the look at the bond that the guys shared together, what happened immediately after the incident you know they hug it out he goes back to the dugout I think you know you look at Contreras he didn't look like he was unstable like he was really visibly hurt by any means he looked like it was just bleeding a lot that he couldn't stay in the game because he was bleeding profusely so I mean you have the inside pitch that goes right after that I think that's the warning he didn't hit him air your grievances at a later time play the game of baseball, but, you know, he goes inside again. Then that reinforces that the prior pitch was retaliatory. And I think it's an obvious uh, ejection and an obvious suspension, like we just saw. 
um, you know, just a few hours before this recording that Mike was, was suspended for five games. Cardinals manager Oliver Marmol, who was also ejected last night, was suspended for one game. And I think with, you know, how Hap commented on the issue last night, you know, he texted Contreras, making sure he's okay. Like there's, despite their literal, literally being blood, I don't think there's bad blood between Wilson Contreras and his former Cubs teammates. I just think this was an overreaction on a pitcher trying to enforce you know, unwritten rules of the game that I think the MLB and a lot more fans nowadays are saying that are really outdated. And I think the MLB's ruling on what happened here by suspending Michaelis for five games effectively a start and Marmol for a game is saying that they're starting to take that side as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think, uh, you know, listening to Michaelis's comments specifically after the game, you can't, I, I don't, I don't believe a word he says, because if, if you really didn't, think that the first inside pitch was going to come across as to, as retaliatory then why did you throw inside again like it, it that can't just be oh that's the book on ian hap yeah trust me like it the scattering reports in my locker you can read it if you want no it's like the umpires probably missed it you know the umpires probably should have convened after the first inside pitch and said okay warm both dugouts then we move on maybe that second pitch doesn't happen then and i you know, to, to the point of the suspension, uh, I'm kind of getting tired of the whole you're you're a starting pitcher. You're suspended for five games. You appeal it. You get three. You don't miss a spot in the ro- you don't you don't miss a spot in the rotation. You just get to keep pitching. I, I think there should be harsher uh, penalties or maybe just you don't get to appeal it. You you start losing more appeals uh, if that's the situation. And yeah, as far as the old school baseball thing goes, like just just play ball. Like I I, I would understand it if if this happened in you know in the the second inning after you know a Cubs pitcher plunked I don't know uh, Walker or or Arenado or something like that. Maybe if that happens, like okay, uh, I could see where. Although I don't know why you would have gone after Ian Happ in that situation. It's it's just so obvious the reason why, you know, the, the inning transpired the way it did. Uh, I also tend to think that maybe the, the 100 degree heat had something to do with it. And maybe he just wanted to hit the showers early. Um, and I'm also kind of predicting maybe that there's going to be some type of more bad blood Later in this long series, uh, there might be some type. I'm not saying a bench is clearing brawl or anything, but there are going to be more fireworks in this series, especially with uh, the opposite directions that these two clubs are headed in right now. Uh, in the standings, you know, everything was supposed to be kind of uh, predetermined as this was the St. Louis Cardinals division to take or to lose this season. And uh, they have they have done that. They've lost it. Uh, they, they have no shot anymore. Uh, the Cubs are, you know, have increased their playoff odds from about what was it? Six or eight percent. I think they're at 18 now. Uh, somewhere hovering around 20. Much better situation than they were uh, the last time we faced the Cardinals and especially much better situation than the last time we, we had the opportunity to reach 500 against the Cardinals and did not uh, go well across the pond there. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Cardinal hater. You know, I, they're, they're probably my number one hated uh, rival team. I also hate the St. Louis Blues probably just as much. Uh, it's just something about the, 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 the city and the rivalry between the teams that it, it just gets under my skin. I think it goes back to the whole uh, 
maybe early 2000s, uh, late 90s era when there was just a lot of uh, plunkings and beatings and, you know, the Sosas and Alus of the world taking the taking the brunt of that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I tend to think that this is just going to lead to more uh, more of this type of play in this series. Yeah, I mean, I think both clubhouses have to be, you know, kind of aware or ready for something like that. I mean, this was, you know, setting the tone at the very beginning of the series, top of the first inning. It ends up being a blowout really directly due to the ejection of Michaelis and the Cubs, you know, building a rally off of that and then kind of breaking the game open pretty early on. And, you know, I, I think that, what you said about the teams going in an opposite direction, I think that really adds to the frustrations that I think were shown on the field last night for the Cardinals. I mean, this was their division to, you know, to lose. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people believe that they were the National League favorites even. I mean, you come in with two of the top three MVP finishers. They had signed Wilson Contreras to a big contract, which was seen to be, you know, the best possible heir to Yadier Molina's throne behind the plate. And things obviously have not worked out in that regard. And the pitching staff has you know, really, really been a problem. The defense has really been a problem. And I think that these are frustrations that have just continued to boil over as the season has gone on. And it's become more and more clear that, you know, there is no turning around from this hole that the Cardinals have dug themselves are really an unfamiliar territory, you know, it, for at least that they've been in my lifetime at the very least. I mean, this is a team that really hasn't had a season like this in a very long time. And it's a, it's an unfamiliar position for these fans and for a lot of guys on the team and involved in the clubhouse. And, you know, to have this boil over in a game against the Cubs, nonetheless, who are on the streak trying to march their way back into playoff contention, it's, you know, it kind of seems like the opposite of something that you would see maybe 20 years ago when, you know, it was close games that the Cubs were always coming on the wrong end of and taking big blowouts, you know, at the hands of the Cardinals at least once a series, it seemed like. And, you know, it really seems like the rivalry is, you know, heading into a different direction. These are, of course, not teams that anybody expects to win the World Series this year, but I think the fact that they're important games for one side adds a bit more fuel to it, and I do think that everybody's got to be aware of you know the circumstances here, that this is the time of year when, when those kind of conflicts happen uh, on the baseball field. You know, you have frustrations on one side, you have a lot of urgency and a lot of hope on the other, so... Yeah, I think I think for the Cubs, they just have to focus on playing baseball because from the Cardinals perspective, I think last weekend was the nail in the coffin, the definitive nail in the coffin for their season, losing three or four to the Cubs. I think, you know, after winning six in a row, I think at this point they'd love nothing more than to play spoiler. And from the Cubs perspective, I think you at minimum still have to win one more game in this series to really, you know, put yourself in a position to not subtract at the trade deadline. So you know, you, you have to be ready for it. And I, I think this team will be, you know, David Ross was a player at a time with this, I feel like was really prevalent in rivalries. You know, he's been a part of the Red Sox Yankees rivalry at some of its more heated moments, you know, in the early 2010s when the Red Sox were rising. So yeah, I think the team's going to be ready for it, but you know, they just have to focus on playing baseball and focus on trying to win this very pivotal series ahead of an even potentially more pivotal one against the Cincinnati Reds at home this coming week. Yeah. And, you know, to your point of just focusing on playing baseball, I think if Ian Hap's uh, post-game comments are any indication from the, you know, the post-Michaelis fallout that 
that he, you know we're moving on. We're we're uh, we're on to the next day and on to the next uh, matchup. See how things play out. Obviously, this Cardinals team has still has quite a few dangerous bats that can do a lot of damage if you're facing them in the wrong situation. You know, you make a mistake, they're going to probably make you pay. You know, the Arenados and Goldschmidt's of the world, but. It's always nice to get to that bullpen early, uh, like they did in Game One, and we'll, you know, we'll kind of see how the rest of this series goes here. Um, speaking of uh, rivalries, though, obviously the Cubs just finish up a nice little tidy two-game sweep, if that counts, uh, on the South side. Um, two games that obviously uh, ended well for the Cubs. Uh, kind of the wins were kind of built in different ways. You jumped out to a big lead in Game One. A little rally in game two after coughing up uh, about five runs in an inning and uh, immediately answering back, uh, coming up with clutch hits, two out hits, all the good stuff that you want to see happen. In fact, I actually I did some stat diving. Uh, I was curious about back to back homers. It's happened. It's actually happened a lot in the cross zone series. Um, But it hadn't happened since 2015. Uh, and this is actually the only the second time that you've had back-to-back home runs in back-to-back games uh, since, uh, what, 2008, I believe, uh, June 20th, June 21st, 2008. And actually in that second game, in the, 20, the 21st, uh, you had pairs of back-to-back homers in the same inning. I believe it was Jim Edmonds homering twice. I think they, uh, they batted around off of – uh, Jose Contreras, but uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of good memories coming up when I was doing the digging on that. Um, and you know, it is a very rare feat for that to happen. You know, with with the uh, the Swanson and Morrell and the the Happ and ba- uh, Bellinger bombs, uh, and it was just kind of nice to see. You know, the uh, a, a team that has struggled to hit home runs most of this season uh, finally, finally finding their swing. Finally, you know, on on a hot July night, uh, you know, humid, with the ball traveling out, they actually, you know, were able to make some contact and and make the pitchers pay. And it was it's it's just kind of reassuring uh, to not blow a game against a team that you know looks kind of lifeless out there on the other side of town. Um, but a- across the board, bullpen-wise, starting pitching-wise, outside of the Stroman performance, um, I think I was pleasantly surprised, not pleasantly surprised per se, but just I liked the fact that everything sort of came together for them in that in that short two-game stint, you know, at 35th and Shields. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think regardless of what the records are, if you look at the Crosstown Classic history, these games are always going to have extra juice to them. And I think the records of the teams really doesn't matter. I mean, the Cubs took a series from the White Sox in 2005. You know, the the White Sox took a series from the Cubs in this matchup in 2016. You know, if that's not proof that it really doesn't matter to how the teams are doing, then I don't know what is. But I think it's, you know, it was important for this team to get those wins in those ways. I mean, you, you start off with the first game. You know, you pounce on a pitcher who has really been prone to the long ball all year. It's been an issue since his first start of the season of Michael Kopech. You take advantage of being in a hitter's park and take advantage of the conditions. And 
then on that second night, I mean, I think that the team, it, like that's the kind of fight that you want to see from a team with this level of talent. And I mean, they, they have the level of talent, I think, to be a playoff team. I mean, when you look at the run differential, which I don't want to blow up because it is skewed when you look at the blowouts that they've had against bad teams, but on the same end, bad teams are mostly who they're going to be playing for the rest of the year. And I mean, in this, in these White Sox and Cardinals series, I think the big, the big things we've seen is they're not striking out as much. They're putting the ball in play and they're taking advantage of poor bullpens and poor defensive units. And it's weird to say that about the Cardinals, but they look incredibly out of place. They did at Wrigley Field in several moments or several moments last night where they did as well. And it's weird to say that about a team with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato at the corners, but that's just kind of the reality of the situation for that franchise right now. And I think we saw earlier this week on the South side, the Cubs just take advantage of that, put the ball in play, put these you know guys that aren't exactly stars defensively at their positions on the spot and challenge them. But then that ends up leading to a lot more run creation, a lot more run opportunities. I think that's a lot more of what we saw last night as well. So, I mean, as much as I, I say that it's not something you can count on continuing, you know, they've taken the added pressure of these rivalry games. They performed well. And for the most part in the second half, they're going to be playing teams that, you know, are, are much less talented than they are at the very least. Yeah. And I mean, you, you raise a good point with, you know, the red differential. It, it is a little skewed, but at the same time, you've got this team. Uh, I believe they're still second in, in baseball in 10 run games offensively i mean only only the rangers have had more games scoring 10 or more runs you know they 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 have hit their their peaks and valleys throughout the season they're obviously hitting a lot of peaks right now um they you know you're when you're scoring seven runs seven runs eight runs ten runs yes the life is good during those situations and you know if it is feast or famine for a little bit obviously you, you they're capitalizing you know everything is kind of sort of uh, coalescing coming together right now um but i i i i'm still a little worried just because you're chasing two teams and you're 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 not just focused on one cuz yeah so a lot of what happens uh during during like a division run division title run if you're if you're still lucky enough to be in that in that uh situation is luck right you have to hope that the team you're chasing loses when you're winning. When you're chasing two of those teams and you're still six, five games out, six games out, that gets a little tougher because you, then you have then you have to hedge your bets against. Okay, so all they can really worry about is playing the teams that are on their schedule in front of them, right? You can only worry about your your nine guys, you know, against against the guys you're facing that day. I just don't know if there's a there's quite enough. I mean, there's a lot of time left. Obviously, it's just if you if you don't get it underneath five solid solidly and don't slip back over six over seven again, I don't know that either the the Reds or the Brewers are are in a situation where they're going to start slipping up. You know, they they the the Reds have obviously obviously cooled off a little bit. The Brewers have been very consistent since the break. Uh, they're they're they've got almost as good of a record as the Cubs do since the All Star break. So I don't see them unless they fall into the tank at some point. Um, you know their their offense is a little suspect at times, but 
They've got the pitching to back it up. I, I don't know that, um, that this is going to be an easy slog to any uh, extent, but um, I don't know. It, it, all I want really is competitive baseball in August and, and September. And just, you know, I'm happy because the last, uh, last couple of years have not been that. Uh, uh, to an extreme, and <laughs> I, uh, I, w- I will take any competitive baseball uh, I can get. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On that note, uh, it's time to huddle up because it's time for to feel the power with points bet with points bet power hour you can get boosted odds on bonus bets every single day whether you're into hoops hockey home runs or hole in ones the power is in your hands and new customers will receive up to $1000 second chance bets that's 10 straight days of second chance bets where points bet will match your losing wager in bonus bets, download the PointsBet app today using the code SHYTALK10, PointsBet, your move. And as we move on uh, to our final topic here on the Cups Talk podcast, obviously we were just talking about the where they stand in the division. Buyers or sellers, that's the, kind of the topic. It's going to be the topic until that deadline hits. Um, I don't see how... You are in a situation if you're Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins right now that you are obviously selling. I don't know how you can possibly subtract from this team right now and sell it to your fan base. Peter, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is probably the toughest, you know, midseason decision that Jed Hoyer's had to face since he's, you know, solely taken over the helm because it's it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. I think a lot of fans are taking in from this. I mean, I think you, you know, you have a tantalizing opportunity to trade some assets if that's what you want to do. But at the same time, you entered this year not aiming to sell at the deadline. And I think that, you know, I've heard some chatter in the fan base like, oh, there's they've always meant to sell this season. Like, not at all. Like, you, you signed Jamison Tyone in the offseason. You extended Ian Happ and Nico Horner at the beginning of the season. You take a flyer on Cody Bellinger, hoping it makes it competitive and it works out the best way it possibly could, you know, without the injury. Um, you know, I think that this team set themselves up to be, at the very least, mildly competitive. And, you know, through this point in the season, that is exactly what they are. So, I at this point, I think it's really hard to take away from this team. I mean, I do agree with you. I think that they're I'm not saying that they have to completely go for it because I also think that that would be, you know, kind of short sighted when you're looking at the long term picture of this team and how they're built. I think if you're going to talk about adding to this team, it needs to be a left handed reliever, another bat that you can have off the bench that can perhaps give you extra bases as a pinch hitter. I don't think that they need to go crazy if they're going to add. But I think when you look at where they are, 
they're not close to a World Series team the way they are, but they are much closer to a World Series team than they are a 100-loss team. And I think when you look at the pieces that are already in place, especially the lineup construction lately, and I mean, I've been on this podcast and have criticized some of the lineups that David Ross has had, but, you know, I think against right-handers, the lineup that he's settled into is pretty solid. I mean, Mike Talkman has really done a solid job in the leadoff spot. When you look at a two through six where you're dealing with Nico Horner, Seiya Suzuki, Cody Bellinger, Christopher Morrell, Dansby Swanson, you know, it's it's a tough lineup to deal with a lot of nights. And I think that if you have, you know, a guy like Miles Mastroboni, who's been swinging the bat well and wreaking havoc on the base paths, this team's third in the National League in stolen bases. That's something that we've really never seen from the Cubs, a team that can run like this team does. I think there's just a lot of positive assets. And, you know, if you do somehow make it to the postseason, you have one of the most valuable assets already in place, so that being a starting rotation. If Marcus Stroman can find a way to regain his form and sticks around, and you have that with Kyle Hendricks and Justin Steele as a one, two, three punch. That is a tough combination to be, I would think, you know, for, for a team that would be playing a team like the Cubs, that if they're making the playoffs, they're likely going to have 86, 87 wins. You know, you're looking at the Cubs needing to win another 35, 36 games left in the season to get to that point. You know, I think it's doable, but they just have to play it, you know, at an elite pace for, for the rest of the year. It's They have a 2020 MLB season left is one way to look at it. And, you know, I, I think if they go 34 and 26, that gets them close, but not quite there. You know, that's what they want in 2020. I think that, you know, they just need to continue a similar pace to what they're doing now. Their schedule fits out quite well to where they have those opportunities, not just against easy teams, but I think the reason that the front office didn't commit to selling earlier is because of the amount of games they have against both Cincinnati and Milwaukee. They have the head-to-head opportunities to gain ground on those teams. They're going to need to capitalize on them, but those chances are there, and I think that this team... I don't think they should be aggressive buyers, and I know it's especially tempting to sell Marcus Stroman because if you lose him, you don't get anything for him, no draft compensation like you would with Cody Ballinger. So it's, of course, tempting to trade him if you get a big offer, but with how he's performed lately, I don't really see an offer being worth that happening. So I I want this team to stay put. I think it's one of the more interesting, exciting, and frustrating teams all in once. Uh, that the Cubs have had in my lifetime. And, you know, I want to see where this team goes. I don't think it's at all a given that they'd make the playoffs, but I think that they have the tools to play competitive baseball for the next couple of months, and they should explore the options to do that. Yeah, I I agree with almost all your points here. I I think, you know, given what the 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 starting pitching market has been so far at this deadline, I, I think the returns have been, Quite frankly, if you're the Cubs, a little underwhelming because, okay, so yeah, you look at Lance Lynn and his ERA is six, right? But that's not really telling the whole story because he's got one of the better strikeout to walk ratios in baseball. He's got the, you know, the the playoff pedigree. He's pitched in big games and big situations, high stress environments, and he's got a lot of swing and miss. Whereas you know, you look at a guy like Stroman. Yes, you know all the quality starts and everything. That's all great. The last couple starts have not been so great. And if you're another GM, and the Cubs, you know, are in a, a selling, you know, mode, you're going to come to Carter Hawkins and be like, hey, so you know, what kind of discount can you give me? Like, 
on a, on a guy like Stroman because you look at the last three to five starts, it's not anything to really ride home about. And then you look at the other move that the White Sox made with Lucas Giolito, you know, um, probably going forward, you know, throughout his career, has more time left than, than Stroman, um, has had quite considerably a lot more success than Stroman uh, across his career. He's had higher peaks than Stroman has had. Stroman's only had, what, uh, 13 wins is his, is his career high. Um, struggled to, to put together solid seasons when he was with the Mets. Uh, his last real great, great run of success was with Toronto. So if you're, if you're another GM, you're going to look at the returns that, you know, the, the team on the other side of town got, and then you're going to come back to the Cubs with Marcus Stroman with, if he is made available and go, well, you know, here, here's what we got. Like, you're probably not going to get a top five prospect for him. I wouldn't think in anybody's organization, depending on uh, who who's buying and who's asking. And then that's not even taking into account, you know, Bellinger and, and all that. Cause you, you're right. Like, you know, the compensation pick, I think is worth it to, to just hold on to him for the rest of this year, see how things play out. And, you know, if he likes it enough, I know he's a Boris client, it's going to be a little difficult uh, usually uh, to deal with someone like that, but they have signed Boris clients before. So, but that's not even bringing Bellinger into the equation. It, it, when you, when you look at that starting pitching market and, you know, obviously Lynn and Giolito are gone already. Stroman looks like he would be the top name uh, available still out there. I just don't know what you're going to get back in return. I, I I don't know that it's that it's worth it to to depreciate and take away from your starting rotation since you are still, you know, hovering around 500. You are still technically in this thing. You do still have a 20 percent, you know, uh, playoff percentage at this point. Why not just be competitive for two months? And it's not even about like we know like why do you have to have this guarantee that you're going to make the, the postseason to not sell? Like you don't spend three hundred million dollars in an offseason and go, ah, oh, we're selling again. Like when because then you have to start asking the question, when is the window? Like where where's your window? Is your window pushed back to 2025 then 2026? Because if you're selling this this season, and then not adding considerably a, a, a whole lot more in the winter. I don't know that you're going to be able to call yourself a contender in 2024. And then if the PCAs of the world aren't ready to come up and contribute in a meaningful way until 2025, where are we? So I think just for from a PR standpoint, uh, personally, I don't know how you can sell – selling at this point to your fan base no i 100 percent agree because like they they have regained exciting baseball on the north side for the first time since that old core moved on and like i said earlier i don't think anybody is sitting here thinking that this team is going to go on and win the world series but no. i think there's an urgency from fans that are like you know we we want to see competitive baseball we want to see them make a push into the playoffs and then once you get in who knows? Like they have long-term talent 
lockdown. It's not like they'd be wagering everything just for the season. And I don't think that's what anybody's encouraging them to do. But I, I do agree with you that if you're not going, like if you're not going to, I, I shouldn't say if you're not going to buy, because I think that they could just stay put. If you're not going to sell at this trade deadline, you know, then you're, you're putting yourself in a position to where you're keeping guys on, you're instilling confidence in the team that, that, that you know, it's something to have moving forward. You know, obviously, Bellinger being a Boris client, you have 0% at extending him during the season. He's going to hit the free agency market, especially because this plan of him and Boris to re, to reset his market couldn't have gone any better. I mean, he's had such an incredible season. But I also think, you know, if you're the Cubs, realistically, I think we know that they're not going to be signing Shohei Otani. Cody Bellinger should be the number one priority this offseason. I mean, I think with how well he has fit on this team, he can play two positions at a very high level defensively. He's proven that he, when healthy, is back, close to being back to the hitter he was. It's tough to say back because his 2019 season was so otherworldly, and I don't think anybody's going to expect that to happen again. But he's putting, you know, just he's been the best hitter in baseball this month and i think just that clear cut when you have a guy that's capable of doing that you're going to want to do everything you can to hold on to him i think there's a very good chance they don't but i think this season when you have a guy like that in the lineup who has a world series who's batting before another guy in the lineup who also has a world series both of them in this decade like there's it's not going to be an easy team for somebody to face in a tough situation just because these guys haven't had that experience on the Cubs. There's a, a, a decent amount of experience collected on this team, a good amount of talent, and it's enough to be interesting enough to keep pushing to try and make the playoffs. And like I said, I don't think it's a given, but as you said, it shouldn't have to be a given to want to add to your team or not subtract from your team at the trade deadline. It shouldn't be a 100% guarantee that you're going to be making the playoffs. The point of the trade deadline is to improve your chances of making the playoffs. And I mean, I think with how well, how much the Cubs have improved their chances in these, you know, since the all-star break, really going nine and four since then, I think if they add just a few more pieces, they can be that interesting team. And last year, that interesting team just happened to be two wins away from a World Series and won the National League pennant. So I'm yeah. not saying that the Cubs are the Phillies, but Cody Ballinger's won an MVP, and they were led by a former MVP as well. I mean, I think that if you get there, you just never know what's going to happen. And I think the Cubs are just too close to being there to where they can't just they can't sell off. It, it, it's it's not the message you're going to send to fans, especially as a big market team. You got to try to win, not not try to win the World Series, not try to risk everything, but just stay competitive. Exactly, but try to continue to win baseball games in August and September. Last year, this team did not win their 51st game until August 19th, and they won theirs last night. I think that alone, like Cubs fans want to continue to see that happening. And I don't know how it's a good financial decision to de-incentivize fans from coming to the ballpark the last couple of months of the year. Yeah. And, and just the fact that, you know, this team was 10 games under 500 and fought all the way back to get to get back to 500, how rare that is. And I think I'm, I'm pretty sure every time that's happened, they've, they've gotten to 500 at, at 51 wins, which is really just a mind mind blowing stat. But, you know, you talk about the, the message you send to the fan base. What 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 message does that send to your 
your team itself, your 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 clubhouse. I don't know. They're they're all big boys. They can they've been through this before. A lot of them, especially the 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 vets who've been around for a while, they've been through trade deadlines. They know you're the business of baseball. Guys move on, whatever. But like you said, it, it's it's not about them going out and fixing third base and fixing first base this deadline because that's obviously not going to happen. Even if they get Jamer Condelario for nothing, I don't think that fixes you know anything you're trying to do. You're not going to go out and trade for a guy like Moncada because he's due like 20 million plus for all of eternity. It seems like, and that's one of the most you know terrible contracts in in all of baseball. Um, but I, I just think we've we've reached a point where, you know, I, I would just like to see how this how this team finishes out the season. And, you know, you don't necessarily need to add a lot. Like you said, left or reliever would be nice, something along those lines. But it would just be nice to not be in a situation where we're selling, 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 selling. And then, you know, being told, oh, just, you know, not the whole wait to next wait till next year thing, but you know, at what point it does the next window open up? That's 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 my biggest thing is just how can we keep, you know, being told the same thing over and over and over again, and being told to trust this front office when at the same time it's like, what is your what is your plan really? Like, are you are you spending three hundred million dollars in the offseason and then selling like? I, it, it just doesn't jive with me, and I, 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 I agree with you. It's just that's let's if they do anything, just stand pat, and you know, not not ride the thing out, but just let's see what happens. Like you're you're still in it. You're still mathematically more than capable of winning this division, and I can't think of you know uh, a better reason to you know uh, to stick around than j- you're. You're you're right there. Like it's a winnable division, and you should be able to stick or stick with this particular team. Not sell any more large, you know, pieces off. See what happens. So anyway, on that note, don't sell. Uh, this has been the Cubs Talk podcast, brought to you by PointsBet from the virtual podcast studio, powered by PointsBet. For Peter Marzano, I am Nate Poppin. They are signing off from this particular edition of the Cups Talk podcast. We'll see you next time.